0: And the cotton is high, Hi everybody. Hey there, cool cats and kittens. Welcome to the Snuggly Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Max Fisk. Great name, strong duosyllabic moniker. Attention, we've got hats. We've got hats. Visit SnugglyDragon.com for a limited time, and I'm not kidding, because these won't be up for much longer. We've got hats. Order yours now. Speaking of commerce, my ironic book tour has officially commenced, so we got all hands on deck trying to get people to read Beef Meets World, A Millennial Philosopher Runs Away to Australia by me, Max Fisk. Remember that guy from uh, a little bit earlier? Basically, uh, I have a super cool life where I can do whatever I want, and a few years ago, I wanted to move to Australia. But, turned out I couldn't escape my problems, and new ones manifested. Always excited to find a sentence where I can use the word manifested. Anyway, lots of juice, heartbreak insight in my first ever book that I'd like you to please read. And it's not that long, so just suck it up. It takes like four hours to finish. Come on. Uh, In order to promote this, your boy is sort of violating an agreement with Amazon, but he doesn't care, because y'all are the best. The Snuggle Monsters are my guys and gals, my cats and kittens. Uh, Just, yeah, just don't tell Jeff Bezos that you heard a free sample on the Snuggly Truck. Uh, So yeah, today's episode is chapter 13 of the audiobook, which will be available very soon. I was looking at which Chappie might be the most fun and kind of all-encompassing of the ethos of the book, and this one just seemed to harp a lot on the big tricky questions that surface during many podcast discussions, uh, and it's got a couple giggly goofs in there just for you. So I figured it would be as good as any to include. So check it out, and if you like it, then either buy the ebook or paperback on Amazon, or wait for the audiobook to be available in like three weeks. Okay, uh, enjoy. Hope you're staying safe in quarantine and haven't had to reschedule your wedding and aren't being too mean to yourself. Snuggly. Love you guys. Dragon Chapter 13. Really, Igin'? Most of the wordplay in this book is better written than, uh, than spoken, but whatever. I awakened to an explosion of notifications. Chubby's had released our promo on their social media. Between Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I estimate that 62,000 different people saw it in the first few weeks, which is way the largest audience my work has ever had. Assuming that only 30% of people actually laughed out loud, this means that with just one project, I contributed to bringing physical joy to 18.7 thousand people, which overshoots my yearly quota of trying to create 50 laughs per day by nine days. And as I write this, it's only April. Looks like I need to set a new giggle goal or just take the rest of the year off. In early October, we are at over 105,000 total views. Does that make me a beast? Am I an international commercial star? What a winsome day that was. All my friends were losing their respective cools, sharing the video, and blasting me with positivity. I received a lot of encouraging female attention. The spot received unanimous adoration, not a freckle of negative critique, even from internet trolls. That evening, I got high and convinced myself in the shower that I was literally in heaven. Even the smarmy little voice who reminds me of all my stress every day was like, Honestly, Beef, you did good, kid. Take the night off. I'll see you tomorrow. Do you ever sit back and realize how absurd existence is? Try it right now. Pause this handsomely recorded audio file and imagine in what way you would articulate to an alien how humanity works. Um, so everybody kind of runs around and uh, thinks and and bangs, which sometimes makes more of us, and stresses and sleeps and escapes his or her largely subjective notion of reality through chemical compounds and artistic distractions for like an average of uh, 78 years, then your fragile meat sack sort of just stops working, but, uh, there's speculation about what happens afterwards to the soul, which is like a ghost thingy that only humans have, though, not tortoises or porpoises or anything else, though. One so easily programs routine that daily activities seem normal. But newsflash, you're a hairy, starfish-textured monster floating in a chasm of invisible fluid. You are comprised of elements that formed after galactic explosions. The quantum particles that structure your physicality are completely unaware of who you think you are. Where's your consciousness located? Behind your face? Nobody knows! You are a descendant of apes who developed social and linguistic skills that enabled them to so quickly leap from a middle-tier locale on the food chain to top dogs that the whole world has drastically altered. And not necessarily for the better. Then there's a bunch of random rules to the game like electromagnetism and dinner table etiquette and delayed onset muscle soreness and Justin Timberlake and Poison Ivy and Wednesdays. Dead strangers created most of the laws that govern your life. The habits you develop are totally acculturated. You would be a completely different person if you were born in another time or place. Can you actually take credit for the things you do or even think? Do you have free will? Or do your genetic makeup and environment dictate everything? You can say, Well, look here, beef. I can choose to slap myself in the face right now, a useless and anti-evolutionary act, and no one told me to do it. Hence, free will. Nice use of hence, Chuck Dickens. But would you have done this unless I had contested your capacity for free will, and your sociobiological blueprints had determined that you psychologically lean towards wanting to prove me wrong, two catalysts which are beyond your control? Could you have ever not slapped yourself in the face, you doofus? People practice different religions across the globe. They all think theirs is the only right one, so can any of them be correct? It seems to me that a few penetrating questions can dismantle most people's theological arguments, which is dicey, thankless work. Why would a loving, omnipotent Christian God create a reality requiring the Holocaust, neonatal intensive care units, and, perhaps most paradoxically, confidence in his existence without compelling evidence? Wouldn't it be so easy for the Almighty to save millions of his supposedly beloved subjects' lives by dispelling doubt and producing some concrete proof of his entity? Is a person living in Nepal who has never heard of Jesus Christ, doomed to eternal hellfire just because he has never been preached the gospel according to whichever semi-literate peasant wrote down, decades after the fact, a shaky non-eyewitness account of some admittedly very nice-sounding geezer whose story was then deemed more canonical than other versions by a biblical assembly committee a thousand years later? And what's up with Islam? Why are so many militant terrorist organizations claiming this as their bedrock? So much murder and hatred for centuries. Some argue that religion has had an overall net negative effect on humanity. On the other hand, atheism and nihilism seem silly. There is too much awesome shit going on for nothing to mean anything and for no intrinsic goodness to exist. At the very least, one has to claim agnosticism. There is, of course, the problem of death which I guess is pretty scary. But perhaps the inescapable downfall of our physical selves is what gives beauty and significance to the days leading up to it. I currently wonder whether the notion that we may already be dead is the only path to sublime transcendence, a rarely attained and frustratingly impermanent state. As the great Russell Brand bemoans, There is no Viagra for enlightenment! Maybe only through the complete acceptance of mortality and realization that life as we think we know it is a low-resolution rendering, can one truly appreciate the present moment in which is contained the potentialities for both heaven and hell. These arenas might not await you during the great dirt nap, my friend. Perhaps they are metaphors for the dimension you currently occupy. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth? In this vein lies my favorite interpretation of the Judeo-Christian Bible so far. Some wonder whether it is not a factual, historical account. I mean, come on, does anybody really still think that? But instead, a mythological anthology, a collective attempt by our ancestral humanity to bequeath us wisdom using the powerful medium of story. The American philosopher Joseph Campbell's research compares this scripture with other famous texts like the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Odyssey, the Koran, those found in Egyptian or Norse mythology, etc. Christ, or Odysseus, Horus, Harry Potter, Batman, is a mythical hero representing the ideal way for mankind to live. The theory is that these stories are universally renowned and repeated by dint of their themes resonating so harmoniously with fundamental human truths, like acceptance of personal responsibility, the conquering of death, and selfless servitude of the greater good. Perhaps in these virtues ought we invest our energy, not in sectarian ideological mascots. Male protagonists do seem to dominate these narratives, as well as the course of human history so far. While there are probably subtle differences for women to execute, I still think that these myths largely apply to a sexless individual's path towards self-actualization. An issue, however, is that this is potentially just one of infinite inconsistent interpretations, a jerry-rigged, unfairly optimistic juggling act by one well-meaning philosophical faction. Other groups cite religious texts as dogmatic law dictated by the creator of the universe, and therefore condemn to torture and death non-virgin wives, homosexuals, or infidels. Some heinous deeds, like the unforgivably astoundingly pervasive pedophilia of Catholic priests, have gone down because of religion. But the church, an organization whose material value, by the way, is unmatched on this planet, also clothes, feeds, and educates millions. How not to throw out the baby with the bathwater? Many, like the brilliant Sam Harris, claim we need to update our relationship with sacred texts to a more rational moral code that does not require, quote, faith, which is traditionally admired among religious communities as a virtue, but means conviction without proof. Honestly, Buddhism, sometimes described as a philosophy, not a religion, seems to be a solid play. Chill and breathe and meditate and beware of desire, fear and expectation and seek truth and enlightenment and accept suffering as an inevitable illity and live aware of your connection to all things, especially the present moment and just be nice, fam. I feel that most of the problems with civilization today come from having too many monkeys in the box. One can practically assume that each animal species has an ideal population size for an optimally functioning hive, herd, flock, etc. Editor's note, these cannot possibly be true, but apparently you call it a business of ferrets, a conspiracy of lemurs, and a maelstrom of salamanders. What do you think the magic number is for Homo sapiens? Upon reaching which integer would our prehistoric hunter-gatherer ancestors, those who evolved so many of the behaviors that we manifest today, start to separate into two distinct factions and carry on independently? Perhaps a clue lies in Dunbar's number, which theorizes that our neuroanatomy is primed for groups of about 150 people. There are obvious extrapolations to be made looking at modern societies cramped with millions. Is the surplus of our species to blame for crises like war, poverty, and crime? Malcolm Gladwell writes in his book, Outliers, about the happiest, healthiest cultures with the most longevity, which are small towns where all the constituents know each other personally. It's tricky. If you shrink society down to the microcosm of merely one family, there are still unintuitive, quarrelsome situations that arise. Good luck supervising this for 330 million boneheads in the USA, especially when its fortunate citizens were born there by chance, having no real grounds to claim ownership of the land as opposed to foreigners. I do not have an answer of how to conduct a harmonious national society, and I am worried that there is no magic formula. I wonder if we should retreat to taking care of our tribes of about 150, or at least secure their welfare first, before concerning ourselves with the whole continent's issues. Let's, of course, strive for peace, work mostly within the current systems, and help outsiders who ask for aid. But perhaps we should more seriously prioritize the well-being of a realistic, evolutionarily sensible population? Am I, dick? For a visceral, not always comfortable introduction to the mysteries of infinity, there is the shortcut of psychedelics. Some believe these bad boys are how religion began in the first place. I personally have tripped mushrooms six or seven times and hope to do so with my friends at a wilderness retreat once a year for the rest of my life, as these have been some of my most jubilant, enlightening experiences. One of my favorite, most beautiful memories is using brooms as paddles to happily cruise a pirogue down a river with one of my dearest compatriots until we happened upon a secret swamp glade seemingly designed just for us. It began to rain, but the sun still shone through the trees as we laughed, cried, hugged, and abandoned ship. Pro tip, there is something miraculous about bodies of water when you're tripping balls. Marijuana and MDMA are pretty fun, too. Ecstatic chakra dancing will blow your mind, and apparently certain types of yoga can induce psychedelic visions. With LSD, I have had both pleasurable and nightmarish episodes, During the latter of which, I hallucinated that I had fallen into a coma, which caused, in my imagination, all my loved ones to surround me as I was beckoned towards death, the other side of which was symbolized audibly by the excited giggling of my best bros on an interdimensional spring break. I think, quote, bad trips are just good trips in disguise. They probably just mean you have suppressed a psychological issue that these compounds force you to confront. real life is certainly less scary after one of those babies, and after a good trip, it is never the same in the best possible way. I have learned countless lessons about, quote, reality during my hallucinogenic adventures, many of which have enabled some wisdom you have hopefully gleaned from the previous pages. But psychedelics especially have taught me about the insignificance of ego, biological interconnectivity, telepathy, expansion of sensitivity bandwidth, appreciation of infinity, nature, and mortality, and deculturization to a primal state, to name but a few. I'm so shrewd and legit. Well, there you have it. Beef Meets World, available for purchase on Amazon.com. Thanks everybody. Smooches!